Well, good morning, Summit. So good to be with you again on this July 5th Sunday. And uh, I pray uh, that you've had a good weekend. I pray that you've had a safe weekend. And I'm excited to jump back into Haggai today. And so just, just a little bit of review. Haggai's been preaching his first sermon. And, uh, and I, I hope you've been following along with this. I hope you've been catching up. Uh, with this, if you uh, if you fell behind, because um, hashtag summer, right? Um, but uh, um, we talked three weeks ago about putting God first, first, and then two weeks ago we talked about trusting, believing God's promises. That, that, that God is a trustworthy God. We we look at His track record; He's a trustworthy God. And then last week we talked about honoring God's name, bringing glory to God and, and, and all that there was in the name, that we do everything that He may be glorified. And then really the fourth point of chapter one, the, the fourth thing that, that Haggai talks about in chapter one before going into chapter two, is that he talks about obedience. He talks about obedience. And so I just want to read verses 12 through 15 uh, here in Haggai chapter 1. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Now there's two words in there we're going to come back and highlight and spend some time on, but let's keep reading verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, uh, Shealtiel, excuse me, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, verse 15, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. And so what we see here, right, is that, that Haggai had come and kind of say, you know, you've been, you've been living in your paneled houses while the house of God lies in ruins. It's time to rebuild, right? We've, we talked about that, putting God first, our priorities, believing, trusting the, the promises of God, doing it for the glory of God, not their gain, right? Not their gain, but for God that he may be glorified. And then we see the people's response. We see the people's response, and we see their obedience. See, here, here's the thing, church, when God speaks to us, right, when God speaks to us by His Word, there is one acceptable response. There are many responses. There is one acceptable response, and that's obedience. There is one acceptable response, and that's obedience. We don't have to weigh the options. We don't have to examine the alternatives or negotiate the terms. We simply do what God tells us to do and we leave the rest to Him. I had a Bible teacher in high school and he was from South Africa. He was a pastor and, 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 and he was bivocational so he taught us Bible, my senior Bible, and, uh, and it was about worldview. 
and, and he walks into class, it was, it was early on in the year, and, and he said in his accent, which I, which I, can't, I can't imitate, um, but it was like a southern South African accent, and he, he said, do you believe in absolutes? There were 21 of us in this class, the senior Bible class, 21 of us, and, and, and we kicked that question around for, for the entire class period. We kicked it around. He's like, do you believe in absolutes? We, we, we talked back and forth. We, we kind of debated, and you kind of had this group that said absolutely not. You kind of had this group that said absolutely so. And at the end of class, we came up with kind of this general theme statement that there were no absolutes. And his response to us was this. Are you absolutely sure about that? Right? I mean, it kind of blew our minds that he's like, you know, he set us up so beautifully, right? Do you believe in absolute truth? Well, no. Are you, is that, is that absolute, right? And so what a statement. And if we apply that here to believing God's promises, honoring God's name, doing it for the glory of God, putting God first, and then our obedience resulting in our obedience, right? Ending, the, the end target, the finish line being obedience, right? Then we don't have to negotiate terms. There aren't alternatives that we examine. This is what God has said, and I'm going to follow Him, and I'm going to trust Him, and I'm going to do it for His glory. I'm going to put Him first, not my preferences. I'm going to put Him first, and I'm going to do what He's called me to do, and leave the rest to Him. We do what God tells us to do, and we leave the rest to Him. I love this quote that I I read this uh, earlier this week. It's from a British preacher, Jeffrey Studdart Kennedy. He says this, Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. But get this, it's obeying in spite of consequence. It's obeying in spite of consequence. That no matter the risk, reward, no matter... No, no matter, no matter what people are going to say, no matter what people are going to do, no matter how much it's going to hurt, no matter what's going to, no matter the outcome, no matter the outcome, obedience, obedience, obedience. And see, my, 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 my fear for us, my worry for us now is that everything's questionable. Right? That, that whenever we hear something, or, or whenever we're presented with something, whenever we hear the voice of God, or think we hear the voice of God, we weigh options, we calculate things, we examine alternatives, we negotiate terms, we talk to everyone else about what they think about the, about the thing, or about the, 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 the venture, or about the, the call, or, 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 or whatever the case may be, right? And yet we never go back. To God. See, there's a few things about obedience that jump out at me from these few short verses that I want to talk about. And I, I mentioned earlier, there's going to be two words that I want us to go back to verse 12 and I want to look at, right? And so you got the names, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all, underline that word all, A-L-L. I want you to underline that, all the remnant of the people. Because you know what jumps out at me here about this passage is that they were in unity. 
They were in unity in their obedience. That their obedience was producing unity. The leaders and all the people were united in obeying God's instructions to rebuild. Now, a fascinating thing here is that if you do the calculations from the dates that are mentioned, right, at the beginning um, and, and, and end here, um, excuse me, if, the, if, you do the, if you do the math from the dates, it was three weeks from the time that Haggai preached his message that ended in verse 11 to the time in verse 12 when we see that they were in unity and they obeyed. Three weeks, right? And, and so we start to think, well, well you know, uh, yeah, well, they were, they were obedient, but they, they spent three weeks to get obedient. Listen, there was preparation, right? They were making preparations. They were making preparations for the call, and they were unified, right? They were unified, and they came together, the leaders and all the people, in obeying God's instructions to rebuild. The second word that jumps out to me reveals their motivation, Okay, so we've got their unity, and then we see their motivation. What was their motivation? I'm glad you asked. Look at the end of verse 12 there. I'll back up a little bit. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, the words of Haggai the prophet, right? As the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared the Lord. The people feared the Lord. This was their motivation, right? The end of verse 12 there. The people feared the Lord. And then, and then you see um, the Lord is with you. And then uh, you see down at the end of verse 14, and they came and worked on the house uh, of the Lord of hosts, their God, right? After all, they, they feared the Lord. After all, God was the Lord of hosts. That was a title used 10 times in two chapters in this book of Haggai. 10 times in this little book. It means, Lord of hosts means Lord of armies. The God who is in supreme command of heaven and earth. The God who is in supreme command of heaven and earth. One more time. The God is who is in supreme command of the heavens and the earth spoke here. The Lord of hosts. After all, the Lord of hosts right, has called us, has commanded us to rebuild. And their motivation was a healthy, underline, think about that, write that down if you're taking notes, healthy fear of the Lord. See, the people heard the voice of God and they obeyed. Why? Because they feared the Lord. That was their motivation. That was their motivation. And this word fear doesn't, doesn't always mean like the, the trembling fear, but it means to have a respect. It means, to, it means to have a reverence for God. And Haggai was big on that. Haggai was big on that. I mean, we talked about last week, honoring the house of God, right? Honoring the house, glorifying the house, doing it for the name of, of, of God and not ours, and, and how that should, that should mean some things, right? That should mean some things on how we treat the house, right? There's a reverent here. There's a reverence here, and that's what that word fear means. See, they obeyed because of their respect and reverence for God and not man. For, for respect and reverence for God and not each other. 
for respect and reverence for God, not themselves, because they knew that God was the better way. They knew that God was the better word. They couldn't trust their own track records, but they could trust His track record. They couldn't trust their decision making, but they could trust His decision making. They couldn't trust their judgment, but they could trust His sovereignty. Can I preach this morning? Some of y'all aren't even awake because you stayed up too late last night on July 4th. And I'm out here, I'm, I'm woo, man, excited, excited. Why? Because God has called His people to obedience, to a reverent fear of Him because of His sovereignty, because of His track record, because of His goodness to rebuild our temples, to build the house for His glory, not our gain. And we have a response to that church. They obeyed because of the fear of the Lord. And I just want to go back to this one more time. I just want to go back to this one more time. What I love so much in this, as we talk about the fear, I love so much that we see that three-letter word all in there. With all the remnant of the people. With all the remnant of the people. The last thing we got to point out before we look at how we can apply this thing to our lives today, the last thing we got to point out is verse 13. We talked about unity, we talked about the motivation, right? The fear of the Lord. And then verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. I am with you, declares the Lord. There was a comfort, right? There was, there was unity, there was a motivation, and there was a comfort. And the comfort was the presence of God. I am with you. What a promise. We talked a couple weeks ago about trusting the promises of God, believing the promises of God. This is a promise of God I have been meditating on, preaching to myself over and over again these last days, these last few days, these last few weeks. When, when things have gotten rough, when, 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 Question marks have, have surrounded my mind. The presence of God has been with me. And you just whisper it to yourself. Whether you're driving in your car, whether you're reading your computer screen, whether you're reading a text off your phone, whether you're in a conversation with somebody, you just whisper it to yourself. God is with me. Do it right now. God is with me. You are with me. The confidence, the boldness, this, this stirring passion for obedience that comes from that. That God is with you. That God is with me, beloved. The Lord of hosts is with us, Psalms 46 says. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. See, the obedience of the leaders and the people was the result of God working in their hearts just as he had done before. Why? His presence was with them. His presence was with them. 
His presence was with them. And, and there may be some of you this morning, and, and you're struggling with that promise. And, and here's how I would challenge you. Here's how I would push you. Here's how I've been pushing myself. God, reveal yourself to me. God, show me your presence. Show me you're with me. Show me that you've got this. Show me somehow. Show me. Show me. You are with me. You are with me. For us today, I believe there's two ways to respond to this. There's two, there's, two, there's two things that we've got to respond to. And the first one is this, the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord. Here, the people right, had heard the voice of the Lord. And, and the people of God heard His voice. And see, here's, here's the thing though. Everybody's plate's a different size right? been learning that a lot lately. Everybody's plates a different size. Everybody hears from God differently. Everybody, everybody experiences God differently. We're not to judge the way that people experience God. God speaks to us through prayer. God speaks to us through Bible study. God speaks to us through circumstances and, 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 and experiences. God speaks to us through, through other believers. God speaks to us through, through many different ways. And you know what that means? When you hear a sermon, when you read your Bible, when you pray, when you, when you you go on a hike, when you do something, we listen for the voice of God. When you're in Hannaford walking up and down the aisles, you listen for the voice of God. You look for the nudge of God to have a conversation, to ask a question. And in this particular case, God used a preacher, Haggai, to be his mouthpiece, and the people of God recognized it. Recognized it. It's interesting to note, it's interesting to note that why in this verse God had the writer list Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, the high priest, multiple times before the rest of the people. You know why that's important? Because God is letting us know the importance of leadership. God is letting us know here, God is letting us know here through Haggai the importance of leadership. And the, and the truth is, the truth is, what's important to the leadership will become what's important to others. Right? And so leadership's important. And we've got to respond to the voice of the Lord under the leadership that He has placed. Right? And we see that right here. We see that right here, not only here, but in other places in Scripture. And the second thing that we must respond to is the stirring of the Lord. The voice of the Lord, the stirring of the Lord. See, the only way, the only way we will succeed, the only way that we will succeed is through God, and when He is with us, nothing can stop us. The stirring of the Lord. We can have confidence in our service to God because He's with us every step of the way. Once we realize that God's with us, it stirs up excitement, like I was talking about earlier, within us. It, it, it builds this boldness within us. It, it stirs us, and when God stirs us up, it's hard to keep us from being obedient. The people began building. This reminded me, as I was reading this and, and preparing for this weeks ago, weeks ago. I couldn't wait to get to this message today because it reminded me so much of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 
It reminded me so much of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Why does that remind me of Haggai chapter 1? I'm glad you asked. There was a mission, right, to build the kingdom. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Jesus talking here, right, laying out the mission of the church, right? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Go and preach the gospel, right? And, and we see here the mission of, of rebuilding, of building the church, right? Laid out right in front of us. Go make disciples of all nations, all races, all people, all backgrounds, all, all ethnicities, all people groups, all of them, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and how? Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And, 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 then, and then we see it right here. We see it right here. I'm with you. In the same way that God told the people in Haggai, I'm with you. The comfort, right, that came with that, he tells through Jesus, I'm with you. And he doesn't just say, I'm with you. I'm with you always. To the end of the age. I'm with you always to the end of the age. See, we can learn a lesson from Haggai's day. And we're not done. We got, we got chapter two. We're going to spend three weeks in chapter two. We just spent, this is our fourth week in chapter one. We're going to spend three more weeks in chapter two. We're going to spend three more weeks in this book of Haggai. But before we jump in to chapter two, we can learn a lesson here from Haggai's day. See, too often we make excuses. Too often we make excuses when we ought to be making confessions and obeying God. Too often we make excuses when we ought to be making confessions and obeying God. See, we say, we say things like, oh, it's not time for God to bring revival. It's not time for this. It's not time for that. It's not time to expand the ministry. It's not time to do this. We act as though, listen to me church, listen to me, hear me very clearly, we act as though we fully understand the times and the seasons that God has ordained for his people. But if you look at Acts 1, it, it clearly says that we don't understand, we don't, we, we don't know the times, we don't understand the seasons that God has ordained for the people. It says that we don't. See, any interpretation of God's word, any interpretation of scripture, any interpretation of the Bible that limits God and encourages people to be lazy instead of busy in the ministry is a false interpretation and must be abandoned. It must be run from because that is not the God we serve. God has given his church a mission. He has called us to action. We, he, he has even laid out the armor for us in Ephesians, the full armor of God. And he said, come, come, come and battle with me. For me, for my glory, for the advancement of my kingdom, to build my house that it may be full. If God is to be pleased with us, 
if God is to be glorified before an unbelieving world, we must hear His Word, believe it, and act upon it. No matter what the circumstances or risks may be. After all, Romans 8.31, God is with us, and if God is for us, who can be against us? And the best part about that passage for me is if you look at that in the Greek, that word if is since. And so it's more of a proclamation than a question. Since God is for us, who can be against us? Because God is for us, who can be against us? And we already know the end of the story. The people of Haggai didn't even know the end of the story. We know the end of the story, that God is victorious, that we are hoopernicahoos. We are more than conquerors in His kingdom. And church, if this message doesn't get you fired up for the mission and the vision of God for His church, then I don't know what will, because if He is for us, no one can be against us, and we are to respond to the stirring and voice of God in our hearts. And so what does this mean for you today? What does this mean for me today? Here's my question. How are you hearing the voice of God? There are so many voices, aren't there? Man, there's so many voices. We talked about this a lot with Discerning Truth, that whole series, and, and, and talked about some of the voices that we were listening to and, 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 and the judgment and, and all, all, of, all the different things, all the different things, all the different things, right? There's so many voices. There's so many things out there. What do you believe? What do you trust? How are you hearing God in it? And if you're not hearing God in it, turn it off. Shut her down. My question for you today from this text, from His Word, is I got spit all over my Bible. How are you hearing the voice of God? Number two, if you are hearing the voice of God, how are you responding? to the voice of God. My fear for us, my fear for me, my fear for, 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 for the people that I shepherd, for you, if you're giving me the platform into your life to speak into your life right now, thank you. I don't take that lightly. Thank you for letting me be your pastor, at least for this morning, or at least for this time. Whenever you're watching this, however you're watching this, my fear is that we have gotten away from doing anything risky for the kingdom of God. Because we're not hearing His voice. Therefore, not responding. When He has promised to be with us, He has promised to be with you. So listen, I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray for the voice of God to be louder than ever in your life. And I want to pray for a stirring to respond.
And so if you're sitting there, if you're sitting there, you know, I just, I just pray that you receive this prayer. This is so hard. I wish we were together. I wish we could be, I wish we could be together. As your pastor, my deepest desire for you is that you hear the voice of God and respond to His Word. Nothing else. Nothing else. And so God, for anyone hearing this, for me, my family, as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. God, as for me and Kristen and Bria and Micah and Ezra and Vera, we will serve you. We will listen to your voice. We will hear you. We will respond in whatever way you call us and however you lead us every moment of the day. And God, I pray that you convict us. I pray that you stir in us in, in the places where we don't Follow in obedience to you. And God, I pray that for every family watching this, for every individual watching this, I pray for a stirring toward obedience. I pray for a stirring toward trust. I pray for a stirring towards the building of your kingdom. I pray for a stirring toward boldness and not fear. I pray for a stirring to your voice. Speak, God, for your servant is listening. And I pray, I pray, I pray that God, we'd feel your presence. I pray that we'd feel your nudging. I pray that we'd feel the comfort of you as we go. And that you would unify us. God, God, what would unify us wouldn't be music. What would unify us wouldn't be worship styles or preferences or, or traditions. But that God, what would unify us is our obedience to your voice just like the people of Haggai, that they were all stirred in obedience to your voice because they'd heard you and because they were confident in you, because they trusted their, your promises, because they were in it for the sole purpose of bringing you glory. This is my prayer today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Sing with us.